And welcome to episode two of MAGA Uncovered. I'm Anthony Davis, and this is my buddy Ron Filipkowski. Good to see you again, Anthony. Great to see you. Lots going on. I just finished watching Ron DeSantis's press conference. That was it's always a thrill. We're going to get to him in a, in a little while. Uh, this is the show where we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media, causing unnecessary division and hatred in America. If you're a MAGA Republican and you've stumbled across this show because it has MAGA in the title, well, stick around because we're here for you. And uh, a reminder that America is already great. And all that stuff they tell you about an invasion at the southern border, well, encounters there are down 70% since Title 42 was lifted. All that stuff about trans people being paedophiles, that's a lie. All that stuff about books indoctrinating kids in schools, that's a lie. And all that stuff about Democrats murdering babies, that's also a lie. Just so we're clear. Um, we have a lot to talk about today, Ron. There's some serious breaking news. We're also going to talk about Casey DeSantis, Lauren Bobert, uh, James Comer and Christopher Ray, uh, Matt Gates, and um, Pride as well, because that's certainly an interesting subject this month. But let's start with Mark Meadows, some breaking news with Mark Meadows, and that is that um, it seems that he might finally be cooperating in Jack Smith's um uh, over overarching investigation of Donald Trump for both the espionage and the overturning of the election. There is new news that it appears he is cooperating, and and I and I posted last night on Twitter three three of my tweets where I kind of had followed this and broke this down and predicted that this day was going to happen. And I my first one was back in 2021, and and in 2021, um, when I looked at the January 6th situation, I looked at it, I viewed it through the prism of one, a prosecutor, uh, somebody who was a federal prosecutor, state prosecutor, defense lawyer for 28 years. So I looked at it from the context of if I was prosecuting this case, how would I do it? And I married that up with sort of what I knew about the people in the Trump administration from watching them, listening to them. And, and, I, and I looked at all the players involved, and, and that's why I tweeted way back in 2021. I said, you know, in looking at all the people around Trump involved in January 6th, whether it's Roger Stone, Michael Flynn, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, uh, Scott Walker, you, you can go right down the list. Who would be the weak link in that chain? Who would be the one person in that whole group who would not go to jail for Donald Trump? And as I went through the list, I figured, you know what? Most of these people would go to jail for Donald Trump to protect him. Most of them would refuse to cooperate. But I said back then, the one person I felt like that would not protect Donald Trump and would sing like a canary if his back was against the wall was Mark Meadows. So I tweeted that first. Then when the January 6th hearings happened, it was pretty obvious from the testimony that the, the hub of the wheel of January 6th was Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows was the, the one person who had links to everybody, to Rudy, to Flynn, to the attorneys, to Jeffrey Clark, to Trump. He was he is the hub of the wheel. So what I said was, number one, Meadows has a weak personality. Meadows would rat out his mother to save himself. Number two, he's the one who has the most incriminating information, not just on Trump, but on all of these people. And then the final tweet I sent out was the day Cassidy Hutchison testified. Because I, that's when I said, now I know Mark Meadows is going to be the cooperator. Because Cassidy Hutchison buried Mark Meadows. 
most of her testimony was Meadows said this, Meadows told me that, Meadows went in this meeting, Meadows, and then I watched Mark Meadows for the next three days, and he didn't say one word. And what that tells you is if Cassidy Hutchinson was lying, Meadows would have been out there yelling and screaming, she's lying. So Meadows knows his close personal assistant who knows where all the bodies are buried was burying him. He's a weak man. He wants to save himself. He, the prosecutors want to make a deal with him. It all made sense. And that's why I said a year ago, it's going to be Meadows that's going to rat out Trump. And here we are learning the news today. That's, in fact, the case. And, and I, I said the same because... The evidence, the paper trail, all leads to Mark Meadows' cell phone, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. On yeah. January 6th, do you remember that video of, like, backstage January 6th, ahead of, the, uh, ahead of the riot and when Trump was on stage? There's that video of them all behind the scenes, you know, and, right. and Trump's there looking at the monitors and, and Meadows is there on his phone, on his phone, and then, Don't you know, all of the Trump... dancing. Right, all that the whole Trump family are there. Yeah. And you can see, like, if you have a good radar, you can see that they are loving this. Like, this is their retribution, right? But all of these text messages were handed over to the January 6th investigation as evidence. And he he really didn't have a choice in that matter. I mean, he had to hand it over. It must be a paper trail like no other. Yeah, absolutely. And he was the one communicating with the Secret Service. I mean... <laughs> literally every every spoke in the wheel he was the one texting the people in congress he was the one people in congress were communicating with while the insurrection was happening so yeah no people like jim jordan have to be pissing their pants right now upon hearing this news that mark meadows is cooperating scott walker begging meadows for pardons I mean, there's so many, Meadows can bury all of them. That's why I said he is the Henry Hill. You know, if you watch Goodfellas, you know, Henry Hill took down that whole crime family. That's a true story. Yeah. You know, and the prosecutors, again, they knew Henry was a drug addict. Henry was the weak link in that crime family. And they went after him and he buried all of them. That's Meadows. And so, yeah, I I think that this is devastating news, not just for Trump, but for many other people, too. Let's just mention and go back to Cassidy Hutchinson for a moment, because do you remember the testimony she gave at the January 6th investigation? She basically said she was doing it for her country. You know, she recognized in the Oval Office, because she was right there in in the room where it happened. She she recognized that what was going on with this plan, with with the fake electors and this whole scheme, she recognized that this was not, it was like anti-American, ultimately, trying to overturn an election. And so she pulled no punches. She even talked about how the, the rumor mill was that in that in that Secret Service car, Trump tried to get the driver to kind of take him up to, to the Capitol, even though they tried to get him out of there. I mean, she was very explicit with what she had to say, and it was very emotional for her. I mean, she, despite Trump trying to rubbish her and saying he'd never met her, never heard of her, never seen her before, she, she was right there the whole time. You know, here we have the Trump White House filled with all these so-called fake, tough alpha male guys, lawyers, military generals, Harvard educations, this and that, you know, many years experience, experience in government, former congressmen, and Every one of these people shut their mouths like cowards, refused to cooperate, refused to talk. And yet here we have this young woman 
junior staffer who doesn't have a lot of experience in the arena, who is the one person who has the courage to stand up to all of these people. And so, yes, she will go down. She is the John Dean. You know, she will go down as the hero of this story because she is the one who took it all apart. She's she's the one who pulled her finger out of the dike and let the water out. Um, and so, and keep in mind, Trump tried to prevent her from doing that. They hired an attorney for her, which is a common thing that, you know, drug traffickers and organized crime do when they want to make sure you're, you know, somebody who works for them is not going to rat them out. They make sure that they hire their lawyer because that lawyer is not going to allow that person to cooperate. Well, she wanted to cooperate and she had the courage to fire her Trump hired lawyer and get a real lawyer who is going to look out for her best interests and not Trump's best interest. And that lawyer, by the way, should be disbarred. We, we should just update people if they've just joined us that that Mark Meadows, it's been announced or it's been leaked that he is cooperating with this investigation uh, from from the special prosecutor, Jack Smith, and is uh, is uh, basically <laughs> coming clean, probably in the hope that he'll get a reduced sentence, because there's no way this guy's getting away with this when he was the very nucleus of, of this planned coup. L- let's just talk for a second about the other twist that happened a day or two ago, where we found out that there was a recording of Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, where he admits that, of course, he can't classify documents by just by thinking about it, right? And this was recorded because somebody was there taking notes for a book about Mark Meadows or Mark Meadows's biography, something to do with Mark Meadows, right? And, and this person taking notes was recording Trump and Meadows talking and has now that evidence has now been subpoenaed and Jack Smith is in possession of a recording of the former president admitting this is on the other side you're not on the coup side but on the on the espionage side admitting that he knew full well that just imagining it was not going to declassify those stolen documents yeah so when the whole document thing first broke Trump people sometimes forget the way things play out I haven't forgotten this. So what happened is they trotted out multiple different defenses. He had three different attorneys. He had Cash Patel. He's got Devin Nunes. They're all running out. It, Trump himself. It was planted. It was this. It was that. I don't have them. Maybe I do have them. You know, I'm allowed to have them. All, he, he was trotting out all these different defenses, trying to figure out one that would stick. Cash Patel is the one who suggest, was the first one who suggested in an interview well, you know, Trump has the power to just, ver- you know, stand over documents and pray over them and say they're declassified. And how do we know he didn't do that? Next day, Trump goes out and says, oh, yes, that's what I did. You know, what, what Cash Patel suggested. I-, I like that defense. That sounds great. But that's what yeah, Trump I- does, doesn't he? Often even he journalists would shout things at him when he was standing, go, oh, in, standing in front of his helicopter, Marine One, yeah. and they'd shout, well, are you going to do this, Mr. President? And he'd be like, you'd see his brain go, "Yeah, oh, well, that, <laughs> I never thought of that. Good. I mean, that's what he did. Cash Patel put the idea in his head. So he he went out and said, oh, yes, that's what I did. Here's the problem. On that tape contradicts that story. Because on the tape, he says on there, supposedly, that, well, I've got this document here, War Plans for Iran. I can't show it to you because it's classified. Well, if he declassified everything when he left, why is he saying that 
so many months later. And there were a couple of documents that he did officially declassify where you've actually seen a full document with the signature that shows and proves that he did know the protocol for declassification. Because if he'd done it for a couple of things, then you can't just suddenly change your change your mind about how it's done for everything else. Yeah, he's going down on, the, on this case. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the January 6th is so complicated and there's so many yeah. layers to it. But the document case is, is not complicated. Right. You know? and, okay. that, and by the way, I, I, there's also breaking news on that. Just yeah. the news, which is... Um, you know, it's a pretty well-known um, um, news outlet on, on right. It's a right wing. It's not mainstream, but it's pretty well known. It's been around a while. They are reporting that they have sources close to Trump who have told them that the indictment is coming down late this week, like Thursday or Friday. That's right. I, I, heard, I don't know if that's true yeah. or not, but that's what they're reporting. Yeah, I heard, I heard tomorrow. I mean, the problem is that now that so much of this is out in the public domain, that I suppose it would be uh, pertinent for the, for the Justice Department and for Jack Smith to move quite quickly because, you know, otherwise, as the MAGA Republicans in Congress tend to do, Jim Jordan and the like, they will just use more of these leaks to seek to obstruct justice. Should we just talk for a second about Jim Jordan? He wrote another letter asking for proof of why Jack Smith has jurisdiction to even do this investigation. Uh, I'm hoping that Jack Smith will just not reply. Right. Tell us about that side of it, the, the obstruction of justice from the Republicans in, in Congress. Sure. I mean, they're going to yell and scream and jumping down. They've threatened to defund the special counsel, defund DOJ. Uh, they've threatened to withhold Jack Smith's salary <laughs> and not pay him. I assume Jack Smith, if they if they somehow were able to do that, would probably work for free. Um, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're children. They they really are. They they're they're behaving like children. They're not serving their constituents. They're serving one constituent. Who happens to live in Palm Beach outside their district? So that's really all there. And the whole, the whole committee, everything that they're doing, the weaponization committee, the Hunter Biden stuff, all of that is solely for Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with doing anything for the American people. And and Trump is obviously putting calls in to Jim Jordan. I mean, it, it's like the timing sure. of everything is like when when things heat up. You know, Trump puts out another video, and and then Jim Jordan writes another letter. I mean, it's 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 pretty obvious that they're all kind of working together. Yeah. Well, and then they're gonna tomorrow they're gonna hold Chris Ray in contempt. They're gonna hold the FBI director in contempt of Congress. I mean, it's just. These people are just unbel unbelievable. And let's just explain what that is. They claim yeah. that there was an investigation into Joe Biden and his family or something, and it's it's been investigated, and there was there's nothing there. It was just a it was just some paper pushing. They uh, have seen the document, right? They, it's they want the optics. What they want to do is to be able to put the document on television. Yeah, they want to be able to put an FBI report with all these crazy allegations that are secondhand. They're hearsay that they're somebody told the informant says that somebody told him that Joe took a bribe. Right. So it's secondhand hearsay. FBI investigated found this is not credible information. So they know all of that. They know there's not going to be an investigation. They know there's nothing to it. They can't prove anything. But what they want is the piece of paper because they want to wave it around. They want to use it in TV commercials. Donald Trump wants to use it in campaign ads, so they want the piece of paper. And Ray is saying, 
no, I'm not giving you this document. You're not entitled to it. It's a, it's a, it's a pending matter. It's a, you know, it's a criminal investigation potentially. So I'm not giving this to you. So, so that's really what it's all about. They, they know what's in the document. They know it's not, it leads to nowhere, but they want to be able to use it in campaign ads. And, and it's a, a theatrical yep. performance art in a way, fake yep. outrage, that's an it. investigation in search of a crime, projection, distraction, and arguably retaliation for the investigation of January 6th. Because, you know, people don't know the difference between one uh, congressional investigation and another. And so if they make as much noise as they can and make it last as long as they can, then they'll think or they'll hope that their voters will think that they have basically done the same as Democrats did to Trump in re in reverse to Biden. Yeah, they're looking to get that fatigue factor in the American public of, hey, they all do it. And, and, and trying they're trying their best to deflect away from what is about to happen to Trump in the criminal justice system. It's, of course, not going to, it's absolutely not going to work. They're not getting any traction. Part of the problem is the people that are their spokesmen are Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, James Comer, you know, Jim Jordan. These guys are all clowns. These guys have lower approval ratings than anybody. So, I mean, national approval ratings. So, no, I mean, th these, are not, these are not credible individuals. And the other thing is, if you notice, they can't get hardly any senators to back them up on any of yeah. this stuff. I mean, Chuck Grassley is about the only one, and he's 89 years old, you know, doesn't even know where he is half the time. And Jim Jordan is not a lawyer, and, and yet he's kind of trying to oversee the Justice Department. Yeah, yeah. A br the brilliant legal mind. Well, he tried to become <laughs> a lawyer, he just couldn't pass the bar. That's right. Um, okay, let's uh, look at uh, November 2024 for just a moment, because there's been a couple of announcements today. Mike Pence is going to throw his hat into mm. the ring. Um, and uh, yesterday, Chris Christie announced that he is going to also run for the, the primary for the nomination. Uh, Trump is not happy about either of these. In fact, I, I think that um, didn't Trump tweet something horrific about Chris Christie on Truth Social? I think I can show this. Uh, that was that was. I mean, it's just so offensive. He really is like not wasting any time going for the Chris Christie is overweight um, visual. I mean, he needs yeah, to take a long, hard people. look at himself, doesn't he, Mr. Yeah, Trump? Right. I mean. It of all people to go to go there yeah. right to go to the fat jokes it's going to be Donald Trump Mr Mr athlete himself right yeah so what do we know about Donald Trump i was looking for my clip the other day that Gilfoyle was talking about her podcast about Trump's diet yeah. this is about 2 months ago i posted the clip I, I was looking for it today i couldn't find it but she was talking about you know how he likes Kentucky fried chicken and big macs <laughs> and this and that she's running through all his diet daily diet so uh I thought that uh, that would have been good to go with the, the Chris Christie clip. So, yeah. Well, I want yeah, to talk I mean, about Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump is terrified of Chris Christie. I mean, well, because, it, that, that's because the one guy he's afraid of. Chris Christie is not pulling any punches. I mean, he is yeah. absolutely saying with no uncertainty that Donald Trump is a, is a danger to, to the United States. I mean, he, he really is, is going for it and he's presenting himself as, as the alternative. Let, let's, yeah. let's go to Florida there and talk about Ron DeSantis because, uh, right. you know, his approval rating has kind of dropped uh, significantly recently. I, I'm, I'm aware of this. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons might be is because actually his wife has turned out to be uh, more of a impressive candidate than than Ron himself. Um, I didn't know much about Casey DeSantis. I've since done my research. I know you have, but I've since done my research and I've discovered that 
Like Carrie Lake, she's a former news anchor, and so she has the gift of the gab, because, you know, when you're a news anchor, you have to have an earpiece and you have to be talked to whilst you're talking and know to look here and then look here. And I mean, it requires you to be a, you know, a certain type of, uh, you know, critical thinker, spatial awareness. It requires lots of skills. And it, it, it was very obvious to me that when Ron DeSantis introduced his wife in Iowa a couple of days ago, she made a, a speech that kind of completely floored um, DeSantis in terms of his ability to communicate and connect with an audience. So we'll talk about what's happened with Casey in just a second, but I just want to show okay. a few seconds of this clip of, sure. of Casey taking the stage and completely upstaging her husband. And so because she's here with us, I want to bring up our first lady. Great mother, great wife, and a great first lady of Florida. Here she is. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Well, it's great to be in Iowa. It's great to fight with a governor. And frankly, it's great to fight with a lot of mamas across the country. Because mamas are really fired up, I have to say, and grandmamas. By the way, when the governor was reelected, we did a big initiative in the state of Florida. We did a Mamas for DeSantis, and we said we are going to sign up one million moms to support the governor. And we didn't meet our goal of one million moms. We actually signed up 1.1 million moms to support and reelect the governor, which was great. Did you did you notice that Ron standing there, just not really knowing what to do, and and you know that speech went on for a good ten minutes, and he became more shifty, and he was like doing fake scratches, and he's very uncomfortable. And she was so slick and so on it, and so connected to the audience. And you know we talked a little bit on episode one last week about how behind, you know, some of these male politicians, there's often a, a very strong female. I mean, she might have been a better candidate, no? There were people outside of Florida the last few years who had this impression of Casey that was wrong. Uh, and I tried to tell him, you're yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and I kept hearing Stepford wife and all of that. And, and I think that, and, and that's totally wrong. And, and that came, that comes from her, I think her, her, her Jackie O outfits, her Disney princess outfits and stuff, and how she was always photographed at press conferences and things, standing behind him quietly smiling, you know, and that was, and so a lot of people got that impression that that's who she was. But people in the Florida state government know very well, and people who know DeSantis know very well, that is absolutely not who she is. She is very, very tough. Their, their relationship really, I'm not going to compare them from a policy standpoint or a personality standpoint to the Clintons, but it, it's a very similar situation to 1992 where. Bill and Hillary came out and they said, we are a package deal. We bounce everything off each other. We discuss policy. We talk politics. Everything we do, we do as a team. And when I get into government, Hillary is going to be involved in the government and involved in policy. And, um, and, and so I think this is the same situation, although they're not being honest as the Clintons were. You know, the Clintons told the voters that was the deal, you know, so voters got to vote on that. But the, the DeSantis, that is the deal, but they're not telling the voters that. But, but what is happening is the voters now are seeing it. Right. Because when she goes out on the road, when she gets her hands on that mic, yeah. you know, she's her own person. And you can see him squirming and getting pensive because he wants everything to be tightly scripted and controlled. And everything with him is scripted and rehearsed and controlled. 
but not so much with her. So when she's got the mic and she's going on and on, he's a little squirmish because he doesn't know what she's going to say, right. you know? And, and by the way, I, I've seen a few people say the, it's the, the, the same virtue signaling, no labels type people on Twitter that are like, well, we can't, we can't be mean to Casey DeSantis because she's a spouse and we have to spouses are off limits. Hey, you know what? Um, I agree. If they're not involved in policy, politics or government, we leave them alone. I left Baron Trump alone. But this is not the case with Casey DeSantis. She is part of this government. She's part, part of this campaign. She's fair. She's fair game as far as I'm concerned. The, the Daily Beast wrote an article and referred to her as Walmart Melania. Whilst well, that was uh, kind of mean. It was mean. She wore a leather jacket that said uh, Florida where woke goes to die. Yeah. And they used the comparison with Melania's, you know, I'm, I don't care uh, jacket that she wore one time. I, I mean, it's so cruel, isn't it? But at the end of the day, do you think that, I mean, personally, I think that Melania was the Walmart Melania. I don't see yeah. the difference here. Yeah, Melania is the Walmart Casey. How about yeah. that? <laughs> that? That works a little better. Yeah, so or I, we should say mail order, the mail order Casey. Right. Right. So, um, no, um, yeah, uh, that 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 was a little. I I posted that jacket, you know, when I got I got the picture off a Trump person. Um, yeah, I mean, when you show up at in Iowa wearing a jacket like that, you know, I'm sorry, you're gonna get you're gonna get attacked, and you're gonna have to just deal with it. So you can't you can't wear a jacket that says, you know, Florida where woke goes to die and then say, oh, well, don't criticize me because I'm the governor's wife, you know. And this whole kind of woke mind virus that, that uh, DeSantis is running on, I mean, that is not going to play well in, in, in many states outside no, it of is Florida. Not. It is a very unsavory concept. It is something that, you know, civilized people don't agree with they might agree with aspects of it they might be you know anti-abortion or whatever but the concept of being so woke that you don't want anybody present who's not a kind of white christian nationalist and, and a republican voter i mean he does not seek to be a president for all americans does he here here's here's the thing in politics when you become the joke a joke or the joke or the butt of a joke uh, or your slogan becomes clowned, um, you've lost. Yeah. And Trump is the Trump and the Trump people have helped with this this thing about making fun of woke. I mean, the tr Trump is making fun of DeSantis saying woke all the time. I mean, and the problem is, is that, you know, that's that's a message that you can roll out in a speech once, maybe twice, and it might work okay. But when you're giving that same speech, woke, 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 and and his his standard stump speech, he says it seven times in between twenty and twenty three seconds. Aaron, Asin, Aaron Rupar, Asin, and myself are in a running competition about who can get the clip of the most wokes from DeSantis in the shortest period of time. Asin right now has the record of seven wokes in twenty seconds. Um, so, but when you're when you're doing that over and over again, yeah. woke, 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 it it becomes like clownish cartoonish well it also devalues the message and i think yeah. that this is what he kind of fails to understand and uh, i really kind of look forward to him realizing that that i don't know what it is that's going to make him realize that you know america is woke uh, fundamentally that the, the country as a whole is a is a forward-thinking uh kind of generous all-encompassing country 
And the, the, the percentage of people that he's talking to is very, very small and potentially getting smaller. Yeah, and that, that's the problem with the, with the messaging. It, it steps on really the other stuff that he can do. You know, I was listening to his press conference today and he had a bunch of Texas sheriffs there. He was on the southern border of Texas. And, you know, he, he, he kept repeating his mantra. Part of his stump speech about woke is talking about how much better Florida is than everywhere else because of him. Yeah. You know, and he goes on and on. In Florida, we do it this way. Every question he gets, he goes, in Florida, in that very condescending tone. And I, I tend to think, as I was watching these Texas sheriffs today, I'm, you know, I'm thinking they don't want to hear from this guy telling them about how Florida handles immigration. They know more about it than he ever dreamed of knowing. As a border sheriff on the Texas border, they know a hell of a lot more about border enforcement than he does. But he's like, well, in Florida, we once caught a boat off the coast of Naples. You know, I mean, they're just like looking. So I don't think that plays either. You know, in Florida, we do it better than everywhere else. But he only knows Florida, Ron. I mean, he literally probably yeah. vacations in Florida. He just goes from Tallahassee <laughs> to, to, to the Florida Panama Keys. City. Right. <laughs> or maybe goes on a cruise and then comes back again. But but yeah. this is the problem of he is kind of institutionalized yeah. in the institution of Florida. And it's not going to be very helpful. And in fact, uh, here in California, Gavin Newsom's had a few things to say about Ron DeSantis, calling him a kind of small, weak man. And they're looking at potentially suing him for kidnapping, of course, taking migrants from Florida well, he was and, asked about it today. and distributing them to not just Martha's Vineyard, as he did previously, but to, to other places. I mean, that's actually yeah. a serious crime, isn't it? Well, DeSantis was asked about it today by a reporter, and uh, he said his answer was typical DeSantis. He goes, well, you know, California brags that they're a sanctuary state. They want open borders. All of, all of this is not true, by yeah. the way. You know, they want open borders. Sure, sure they do. Uh, so since they want open borders and they call themselves a sanctuary state, uh, we're, they, should, they should be happy to get migrants was, was part of his answer. And then he said, well, you know, Florida has a surplus. So we have a lot of money. So we have enough money to help Texas out. And I'm sorry that California has a budget deficit and can't afford to take on migrants. So that was his response. Yeah, it's, it's not going to serve him very well in a, in a court of law. Um, let's talk about Lauren Bobart because uh, I know she's your favorite, and uh, she has she she provides you, Ron, with no shortage of material for your Twitter feed. It's like she's she's every day she's kind of bringing something up that he's going to entertain. But it's also very serious. And the serious side is she is the worst for pushing this kind of MAGA propaganda that is not based in truth, but is just trying to rile people up. And let's talk about the vote on the debt ceiling, because she claimed that she protested that vote by not going to vote. She didn't want America to get into any more debt. She doesn't really understand how the debt ceiling works, clearly, about the fact that it's, you know, it's money that's already been spent. And so... There was a video that was made of her actually showing up for the vote, even though she claimed she wasn't there. Just tell us about this, and then I'll show the clip. Part of the reason why I focus so much on Bobert, a couple reasons, but one is she's the communications director for the Freedom Caucus. Right. And the Freedom Caucus is the worst of the House. So she's the spokesperson for them. Bad choice, but that's who they chose. Number two is we can beat her. She, her district is an R plus six, R plus seven district, meaning that, you know, there are six to 7% more Republicans than Democrats. However, the independents tend to break Democrat there 
And she won both of her elections by less than 1%. And she's facing a very formidable opponent in Adam Frisch, who almost beat her last time. I think it was 300 votes. So we can knock her out if things play out right. We've got to catch her in something big. And I think this is it. Because she spent weeks railing against the debt ceiling that, you know, how terrible it was and horrible and the end of the end of the republic and how much she was going to vote for it and how terrible it was and how she hated the deal McCarthy made. So then the vote happens and she doesn't show. And everybody's like, well, what happened with Boebert? Why didn't she vote on it? Then she surfaces and, and puts out this weird video. I think it was a Saturday morning, this past Saturday morning from Colorado saying, you know what? I just decided to skip the vote because uh, it was a protest. The vote was so a crap sandwich, she said. It was so bad that I didn't even want to show up. Now, that kind of like, I was suspicious about that because I'm like, you know what? If it was so bad, her style is to show up and yell and scream and, and stomp, stomp her feet. It's not to like slink off into the night and not show up. That's not her style. So then I'm, I'm sitting there and it was like 11 o'clock. I'm watching golf on Saturday. And I see this um, CNN, it's like an associate producer for CNN, I forgot her name, but she was running, I think, like their little pool camera outside that was just trained on the steps that night, the night of the vote. And the vote was like midnight or something, right? So there's nobody out there. So I saw that she, she responded to Bobert's video saying, well, wait a minute, Bobert's saying she skipped the vote, but I was there that night and I saw her running up the steps and told her she missed it. And she didn't even know she missed the vote. So I saw that tweet and I saw it had like no engagement, like nobody, nobody paid attention, hardly any likes or anything. And then I looked and I saw that that associate producer, you know, she's not a famous person or anything. She had like 2000 Twitter followers. So I'm like, oh, well, I got to blow this up. So I put it out and then the Midas boys picked it up. They put it out and then it just blew up and uh, think, you know, she just completely busted. So then her opponent picked up. But the reason why this is so terrible is, this is, was probably one of the most significant votes, according to her, of her congressional career, and she missed it, and she lied about it. And so the next question becomes, where was she? What was she doing that was so important? Because if, if there was some kind of family emergency or something she was doing that was really important, she would have already told us what that was, but she hasn't. So that's, that's the one last question that needs to be answered here is, where were you, Lauren? when all of your colleagues were voting on this bill. Okay, let's see her being late for the vote. They just closed it. They closed it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, she missed it. I mean, she was dressed up. Maybe she'd been out at dinner or something. And then when she went in, she had to sign uh, on, the, on, the, on the ledger to say that she wasn't able to vote because she was, she was late. Yeah, she put, she was unavoidably detained, <laughs> is what she signed. Maybe in. she was briefly arrested or, or, <laughs> or pulled over by the cops, I don't know, for, for lying. Well, the, of course, the context of this is she just separated from her, her husband right. and is going through a divorce. Who knows? Well, that bit's who am, none, that who bit, am I to gossip? Exactly. Right? I mean, that, that bit is none of our business. But the point is that you don't build a whole campaign on this debt ceiling bill. And, and, you know, really kind of take on the leader of your own party. I mean, she was dead against Kevin McCarthy and his negotiations. And she, and along with Matt Gates and, and um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they had a whole kind of movement against this. And then she was late for the vote. She was going to vote 
No, obviously. They're they're in a mutiny right now. I mean, her and Gates, they went on Steve Bannon's show last night. Right. And were saying that they weren't going to let any vote, any bill uh, pass uh, unless until Kevin McCarthy put in writing everything that he verbally told them that he was going to do and they supported him for speaker. So, yeah, so she is still using the debt ceiling vote to try and rebel against McCarthy, a vote that she skipped, that she didn't even show up for. So, yes, this is what they're talking about. Hold the floor means they're not going to let any bill, they're they're not going to be whipped into voting for any bill to come to the floor uh, that would pass. So they're going to block every bill from this point forward unless Kevin McCarthy um, it puts in writing their agreement. Now, what Bannon asked them last night was kind of interesting. He said, well, don't you think McCarthy is then going to start making deals with Democrats? Um, if, he can't, if he can't get your 10 votes, he'll pick up a few Democrats and start making deals with them. And Gates chimed in and said, no, no, I don't think Kevin will do that. And that's when he made the statement of, we're going to force Kevin into a monogamous relationship with either Hakeem Jeffries or the Freedom Caucus. He's, in other words, he's not going to be in a, in a relationship and get along with both of us. He's either got to pick us or the Democrats. This is only going to get better. Let's uh, move on, if we can, because we've got a lot to get through and only 22 minutes to do it in. So I'm very conscious of, of, of time. This is a very packed episode. Um, I wanted to talk about MAGA's reaction to Pride Month because there's, you know, there's yeah. been so much uh, in, the, in the news. Obviously, last week we touched on the Target story and, and, you know, that kind of seems to continue in some kind of way. But, I mean, this is, you know, Pride has very much been weaponized by, by MAGA Republicans, not least in Florida, but certainly in other places too. As someone who covers the right wing, Pride Month is my least favorite month, (laughs) to be very honest with you. I'm very supportive of it. But look, I can just tell you that their playbook, you know, and it's the same playbook every year. And and if you're somebody who participates in Pride Parades, please listen. Please listen to my prayers. The prayer, please do what I'm asking you to do, which is what right wingers do is they film these Pride Parades. They're watching the news feeds. And they are hoping and praying. They are waiting for one knucklehead, which is what happened in the West Hollywood Pride Parade over the weekend. One guy in the parade got up on a truck and he was using a whip to spank the bottom of another guy. And guess what? Families bring their kids out on the side of the road to these Pride Parades. So what the right-wingers are doing is waiting for a moment like that where there's a kid in the background that they can get on camera. And then they're going to say, see, this is the gays grooming the kids and exposing and doing all these horrible things. Of course, my, re- you know, my response to that always is, do you know that every year tens of thousands of heterosexual males get arrested for indecent exposure <laughs> you know, yeah. in public? Yeah. Uh, so it happens way more than happens. But, but this is what the right wing does. So I would just say, for people who participate in pride parades, please don't, you know, wave around dildos. Please don't simulate sex acts. Do your thing, but, you know, be aware that right-wingers are going to use that against the entire movement and the entire civil, civil, all the civil rights that gay people have achieved over the last 20 years. They want to undo that, and, they're, and they are using pride parade footage to advance their agenda. But this is a this is a move of these people, isn't it? That they'll look for a solitary piece of evidence, 
yep. that is not representative, it's not qualitative because it's happened once. But yep. they will they will clip it, they will turn it into a meme, they will amplify it, and then it becomes the, the you know at, at the forefront of their of their argument and their policy about claiming that the the left is full of you know all of these kind of crazy. They do types. It with everything. They do it with mig you know and a, a migrant will commit a crime. Yeah. You know a, a robbery or something somewhere. And of course, yes, they're going to, this is Joe Biden's fault, you know, or lacks border. This person would be alive today if Joe Biden had secured the border, right? This is what they do. They pick isolated incidents, even though every crime statistic in America shows that migrants commit far fewer crimes than U.S. citizens, way fewer. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is they don't want to be deported. They you, want you to keep their head down. You don't travel and with your no, family to try and seek solace and and yeah. and sanctuary and a job, and then blow it all up. I mean, it's right. just it's illogical. I mean, what I would like to do is take that one person, that one migrant who just committed a crime in Laredo, Texas, yeah. and get the crime stats for that day in Laredo to show, you know, nine hundred Americans arrested in that city the same day for committing worse crimes. But, you know, it's hard to debunk conspiracies all the time. Right. I do my because, best. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the MAGA extremists are also claiming that every extremist group is, is FBI. This is something that Marjorie oh, yeah. Taylor Greene said, right? Well, this is the other thing I have to deal with, of course, too, which is every time an extremist group goes out, whether it's Patriot Front, even January 6th, or some of these Nazi people. There was there was some people in uh, Texas that were from DeKalb, Texas, that were this weekend that yeah. were out in their Nazi regalia. I know the group. It's this Aryan Brotherhood group. They're from DeKalb. I know the who the leader is. I knew who he was. I posted the video. And of course, this is what they do every single time. It's the feds. It's the FBI. And of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that was the FBI, right? So the FBI, according to them, is sending out all over the country every week, all these people, and they're dressing them up in swastikas and right-wing clothes and Nazi clothes and sending them out. Why, why, why is the FBI doing that? Because they want to make right-wingers look bad and they want to exaggerate that there is a problem of right-wing extremism. I mean, this is the mentality that these people have. This is what they think. So I said to a few of them on Twitter, I, I rarely engage with these knuckleheads, but I did on this point. I said, you tell me why you think they're FBI. And a couple of them said, well, they don't have tattoos, they're clean shaven, they're wearing masks, you know, just ridiculous arguments, you know. But the, the, this idea, I'm very interested in like the gullible nature of people that are in a cult. You know, it's very interesting and it's definitely worth reading Steve Hassan's book, The Cult of Trump and, and all of the others who've, who've studied this. I mean, this is a whole thing. And I've noticed because I watched Tucker Carlson's new uh, show he launched last night on Twitter. It's called Tucker on Twitter or something. It's been a Tucker lot of time Twitter, coming up with that. It. Yeah. And um, he just talked. He was only on for like 12 minutes, but it right. was a you know piece to camera, a bit like he's opening monologues on, on Fox. But he talks in, in, in rhyme. He talks in a kind of code. He talks in this kind of weird pentameter that makes the viewers who are fans and in the cult of Tucker think they've heard things that he hasn't said, but 
And let me yeah. play the clip and we'll just see. He's talking about Zelensky. And it, yep. it's it's a very odd way of communicating. It's not English, right? It is a, a it is t- the language of Tucker and it's grown his audience, but it's a very clever way of inciting hatred without saying the words. Here it is. Actually, Mr. Zelensky is a very good man. The best, really. As George W. Bush once noted, he is our generation's Winston Churchill. Of all the people in the world, our shifty, dead-eyed Ukrainian friend in the tracksuit is uniquely incapable of blowing up a dam. He's literally a living saint, a man in whom there is no sin. That's why Lindsey Graham is so attracted to him. They're just two good people, hanging out together and being good. And like all good people, when they meet in person, they spend a lot of time talking about killing people and laughing like friends do. It's the yeah. it's the double negatives. It's the all the code there. It, all yeah. the code. He's implying Zelensky's a drug addict. He's a murderer. He's gay. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's all the usual stuff. It it's the stuff that that exists on right wing social media that he traffics in. Right. Yeah. And, and let us remind ourselves of who the man is that has given him a platform. Oh yeah, Elon Musk, of course. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and by the way, you know the right wingers are all bragging about view count and all that you know one thing elon did is he changed when you see view when you used to see views on a clip it was that was actually like you had to watch the clip to get counted as a view like youtube right but elon changed that and he changed that to try and manipulate advertisers so he changed he basically took the old the twitter used to have an impression count and a and a view count right the views were actual people who watched a clip impressions were just people who saw the tweet about the clip he switched the impression to to now views so so in other words tucker they're saying well tucker got 50,000 views he did not it means 50,000 people saw that he tweeted something right? they didn't actually necessarily watch the clip so but but the, that's the, the other thing the, the crazy thing is because we just heard that the the boss of cnn has just been fired and so obviously that was came off the back of the trump town hall but, but you know, the thing about social media and YouTube and Twitter and even you and I being here and the Midas Media Network, you know, we are able to exist outside of broadcasters. We don't yeah. need to be on a kind of carrier, a licensed carrier. We're able to use these social platforms. And the problem is people like Tucker, you know, yes, he's been banished from Fox, but unfortunately his propaganda and his hate and his bias is not going to go away. And even if he just does 12 minutes every day on Twitter, that is going to move the needle. And this is what I've been telling progressives for years, which is you can't deplatform these people. They have their own platforms. Yeah. So many people on the left are like always just don't don't cover them. Don't media. Don't give them a platform. Don't interview them. Don't talk about them, and and then they'll go away. And what I try and tell them is, you are blissfully unaware that the American right has created an entire network of meet their own media, internet media, and, and this proves it. I mean, Tucker Carlson. Let, okay, yeah, maybe fifty million people didn't watch it, but I'll say probably ten million people did. Right. So what was his highest views he ever got on Fox? Four million. So yeah, they have an alternative ecosystem, alternative media system. So you can't defeat these people by ignoring them or deplatforming them. It doesn't work. You have to beat them at their own game.
Let's uh, talk about the extent of the insanity just for a moment. I I'm referencing Candace Taylor. Uh, this is the Georgia GOP district chair. She's a Trump loyalist. She refused to concede her governor race that she lost. She asked her voters to sign affidavits to prove that they voted, and that didn't help her at all. She's a flat earther, isn't she? Candace and I go way back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel sort of like one of these talent scouts with some of these people where I discovered them in, in the boondocks. I discovered Elvis uh, singing at a little club somewhere and I bring them and, and somebody else steals them from me. And, right. and, and this has happened with, with poor Candace. Candace, I discovered her, yes, when she ran for governor. She was immensely and enormously interesting to me listening to her uh, South Georgia. She lives in like the South Georgia, middle of nowhere. And uh, I've seen her house and everything. So, yeah, she was very – her campaign slogan was Jesus, guns, and babies. And she put it on the side of a bus and and – People don't realize she has like a PhD. She's got a, lot, a decent amount of money. She's not like some hick living in a cabin in the swamps, you know, but she's definitely nuts. So she ran. But, you know, Mike Lindell endorsed her. Um, she had a podcast. She's had a bunch of decent, fairly big names go on the podcast. So, yeah, she lost her election. She got 3.4% of the vote. Mike Lindell um said that her election was stolen and she really she really in fact won so yeah candace is but th the reason why i focus on candace she's very reflective of so many people in the republican there there are millions of people like candace taylor in the republican party now so she's just representative of many others like julie julie green and many others i post on twitter um there are millions of these people out there. Yeah. And even Mike Lindell is one of them. I mean, they, they, they yeah. just have this absolute, they're convinced of their, of their argument and the evidence is irrelevant to them. Incidentally, I think my pillow has 80% off at the moment. I don't know if you oh, saw, you saw that. So. It was 70 last week. Yeah, no, it's going, it's going to, it's going to be 110% off soon. He just wants someone to buy that pillow. Um, <laughs> Let's. Uh, there's a story that we didn't get time for last week that I'm really keen to cover, and this was the story of this former aide to Biden in the 90s who had who claimed there was a kind of sexual assault, uh, and that came to nothing. She was accused of ties to Russia, and lo and behold, she is now defected to Russia. Her name's Tara Reid. And she is now in Russia with Maria Bettina and all of the all of these people that, you know, you don't really want to associate with. She wants to be a citizen there. And she is now spewing propaganda on Russian state television on behalf of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, this kind of blew up in the face of Megyn Kelly um, earlier this week. I watched the podcast. Um, so, yeah, Tara Reid was, you know, a MAGA darling. Because, you know, they wanted somebody, because of all of the accusations of all the women coming forward against Trump, you know, they wanted something to balance that out. And Tara Reid was that something uh, to accuse Biden of, of the same kind of thing that Trump has been accused of many times. So they trotted her out. It sort of got no traction because she's kind of a nut. And then, you know, she kind of disappears from the scene a little. And then lo and behold, she turns up in Russia. So so yes, I've been I was dying to kind of hear her story and and who got the interview was Megan Kelly of Tara Reid. So I watched it. It was it was kind of an unbelievable podcast because um Megan was kept trying to like focus on like 
the fact that why she left and she claimed that, you know, she heard she was about to be indicted. <laughs> indicted right. for what? No one's going to indict Tara Reid. Nobody, nobody cares about Tara Reid. But this was her story, that she fled because she heard that Biden was about to have her indicted, so she needed to seek uh, asylum in Russia. But where it went off the rails on Megyn Kelly is she started riffing on what a great guy Vladimir Putin is and how she loves Putin and how... You know, he's really helping all the people in Ukraine and rescuing them from Nazis. And and the Ukrainian people are really happy to have the Republic, the, the Russians in their country. I mean, and Megan kept trying to, like, shift away from that and change the subject because Tara's ruining her interview, you know. But um, but Tara kept kept on it. You know, she kept praising Putin. And uh, so that just disc- to me, it just completely discredits her whole story. So the question is. Was she actually like a Russian asset, you know, when she was here making those accusations? You know, that we don't know. Um, I think she said she feels safer in Russia than she did yeah. in her home country. We'll check so. back in a few months. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> see if she, see she if might she's go the same way as Alexei Navalny. Snowden right now is, um, is, getting, uh, is not really that thrilled with his accommodations. Yeah. He's, not, he's not real happy these days in Russia. So we'll check back with Tara. <laughs> Let's just quickly talk about uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the uh, anti-vaxxer, anti-COVID um, vaccine guy who you know claims to be a Democrat and now is throwing his hat into the ring to go up against uh, Joe Biden with Marianne Williamson. These are the now three potential candidates for, um, for the primary. Uh, who's behind the campaign for... Robert, da- uh, yeah, Robert Steve, Downey Steve Jr. <laughs> Robert Kennedy Jr. Steve Bannon is behind this. Okay. So during COVID, uh, RFK Jr. is very much a big conspiracy theorist, very <laughs> QAnon adjacent, I'll say. Yeah. And, you know, during that time, he was making the rounds of all these right wing shows and podcasts and going on them because, you know, they liked it. The fact that even though he was a nut, and most of what, and he's not a doctor, he's not a scientist, of course, but they love the fact that it was Robert Kennedy's son saying the things that they were saying, you know? And so they platformed him a lot. So, so I saw Robert Kennedy, uh, I posted him a couple times, but I try not to post him very much during that time period because I just didn't want to give him any publicity myself. I felt like he was a nobody. But then, you know, they started saying to him, you know, you really should run for president. You know, I started hearing that on these podcasts. You know, they were they were in his ear going, you should challenge Biden in the Democratic Party. And of course, you know, Steve Bannon is a chaos agent and he he's just looking to cause problems and to cause headaches and aggravations for Biden. So he was the one that was really, really pushing it. And um, and and Bannon retweets me all the time over on Getter. And uh, he he sort of acknowledged you know, in a sneak, in his sneaky, snarky way, my tweets that, yes, he is behind the RFK Jr. Uh, candidacy. Not paying for it, but he's the one who put him up to it. It's so interesting, isn't it, that this kind of people like Bannon who are straddling both political sides, right, and, and who is amplifying you. You, of course, a former lifelong Republican who's you know, switched when Donald Trump showed up because you knew that it was un-American and uh, unconstitutional and uh, undemocratic. And and yet Bannon plays on that, doesn't he? He kind of yeah. really knows how to manipulate yeah. the media and the news. And, you know, he might wear two shirts and have six pens, but he 
he's actually not he's not stupid is he he's not stupid but he's incredibly undisciplined and yeah. so that's his weakness you know he's wrong a lot he says a lot of dumb things he backs the wrong people so yeah when you're a chaos agent and you're just looking to create chaos that works for a while but but eventually people kind of catch on that like you know, you're wrong awful lot, <laughs> you know, and he says a lot of things are going to happen that turn out to not be true. And, and, and you're going to pick a lot of fights with people because he's constantly throwing bombs. Like right now, I mean, he's severed ties with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was, the two of them were thick as thieves. She was on his show all the time. Now they hate each other because he said she needs to be primaried over her, her backing of McCarthy and, and her vote for the debt ceiling bill. So you know, the two of them now, that's it. Their, their relationship is broken. And that's not BS. I mean, they really do dislike each other. But that, that's the problem with the Bannon. He, and that's why he got fired after nine months in the White House by Trump, because he was fighting with Kushner every day. You know, he can't stop fighting with his own allies. What's the relationship with Trump and Bannon now? It's, it's always hard to tell. Are they Fine. on the same team? Yeah, it, it, that's, a good, that's a really good question. That's something I pay very close attention to. Um, it's starting to thaw. Um, Bannon interviewed him uh, for the first time um, uh, about a month ago. Um, so I think that um, Trump is a little leery. I think Trump respects Bannon's advice. He respects the fact that Bannon has a pretty big audience for his podcasts of very rabid MAGA people. But I think he doesn't trust Bannon. And I think he knows that Bannon is kind of a wild man. And, you know, he can't he can't let him get too close to him, I think. I think Trump has at least good instincts as far as that goes. We should uh, remind people of the, the breaking news, and that is that Mark Meadows, it seems, is going to be cooperating, if he hasn't already, uh, with uh, Jack Smith. Um, he testified to a grand jury in the special counsel investigation, which, you know, that kind of news broke in the last 24 hours. But in the last hour or so, we've heard that he is fully communicating and cooperating with Jack Smith. I mean, there is now no shortage of evidence uh, against Donald Trump, and there is a very good chance that there will be some kind of indictment coming within the next 24 or 48 hours. Um, Ron, this has been episode two. I'm thrilled uh, once again to spend an hour with you on a Wednesday, as uh, we will do every week. So hopefully people will join us next time. The audio podcast will be available later this evening. If you want to listen to this, if you want to watch it again, you can go back and uh, rewind it on YouTube and uh, have, a, have another listen. Uh, just a reminder that you can catch me every day on the 5-Minute News podcast and on Sunday hosting The Weekend Show here on the Midas Media network um ron just remind us of your twitter because that's where a lot of this action happens what is my name your twitter yeah, what's Phil your twitter name yep ron ron philipkowski just at ron philipkowski that's, i that's knew nobody name. else would have taken that one i have <laughs> i have a feeling uh, i'm the anthony davis on twitter that's if we do both don't get uh, removed from the platform uh before next week thanks again for joining us here on maga uncovered and uh, we'll catch you next wednesday <laughs> 